Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. And oh my god, I accidentally just clicked the PowerPoint icon. It's, <laughs> it's bouncing. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay, y'all. Give it a second. Give it a second. It's good. Please okay. leave this in. Please leave this in. <laughs> the gr- oh, man. The great PowerPoint snafu of 2021. All right. Yeah, just because you asked nicely, I'll, I'll leave this in and let people experience it as it happens. Okay, in fair life. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How are you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm excellent. I'm excited to explore another section of Koholint Island with you today. Uh, my second time around the shores of this idyllic setting, and uh, I'm having a whole lot of fun. So looking forward to talking about it. And uh, we're back to having a guest on the show. I think we've had like two, maybe even three full episodes of just you and me. So I'm excited to have a buffer. Yeah, we had Ganon's Castle, then the Ocarina recap, and then Link's Awakening Chapter 1. So, so three, yeah, that's three. actually our longest stretch without a guest in quite a while, um, which it, didn't even register for me, but you're yeah, right. It's nice to have a buffer. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's there's just a little bit too much unbridled like sibling dynamic here. So uh, yeah, but anytime we can bring on a, a third party to help break that is mellows it out is only for the best. Also, happy to hear that you're enjoying your time with this game. I mean, basically, the entire reason for this podcast existing in the first place is so that I can, uh, you know, sneakily get Matt on board with the whole top down Zelda side of things. So I'm glad to hear that my <laughs> ulterior motive is is paying off. No one besides. Besides uh, Joel, our guest, can see me right now, but I'm giving Lyndon a very suspicious side eye because that was 100% not the reason for this podcast. As far as you know. <sighs> mm-hmm. yeah. Introduce our guest, please. Yeah, you're in it now. You can't get away. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are also joined today by one Joel Siegel, who you may know from Linktober and also uh, as the host and organizer of the Zelda Creator Con. Joel, how are you doing this evening? Oh, I mean, I... I can't complain. It's a uh, lovely scenery on Koholan Island. So uh, coconuts, octoraks, and uh, all the sand you could want. Absolutely. And a it's nice like a fresh dream. breeze. Yeah, just another day at the beach. Sea urchins, monkeys that throw <laughs> coconuts at you. Um, <laughs> yeah, spiky, uh, spiky critters that come out from beneath the sand. I mean. Some who, zombies who, thrown yeah, in there. Who hasn't been there? Yeah. Um, we really appreciate you joining us. And as we do with all guests who come on the show, I want to give you a minute to sort of talk about yourself, introduce yourself. Um, if you would start off by just saying, uh, who, who is Joel Siegel? Where might people know you from? Oh boy. Where might people know me from? Um, well, my name is well known for being a a famous movie critic that died like 10, 15 years ago. He was on good morning America. Um, (laughs) Uh, and then I sound like Seth Rogen. Uh, so you may have gotten to know me in various places. 
Are you, uh, are you related? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Joel Siegel, famous for his role in Pineapple Express, uh, <laughs> are you, and the interview. Are you uh, are you at all related to either Joel Siegel of Good Morning America or Seth Rogen? Nope. Cool. Nope. All right. Nope. I'm not even related to Jerry Siegel, co-creator of Superman. Um, so <laughs> well, that I got nothing. Cool. <laughs> I got nothing. This, this section of the podcast now titled six degrees of people who either sound like Joel or sound like they should be related to Joel, but aren't, but are not. It's yeah. true. It's true. <laughs> um, I'm very infamous in that case. Um, but, uh, all right. Where would people know me from? Um, I've worked a ton of comic conventions. Uh, I've been working them for eight years. Uh, so C2E2, which is the biggest one in Chicago. Um, I worked New York Comic Con in 2014. Uh, I've done, yeah, just a, I've done a bunch of comic conventions so people could see, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my, I don't know really what you want to call it. Digital illustration. Um, a lot of my artwork in different places of prints that I do, mini comics, things like that. Um, Otherwise, I mean, I've just done a ton of graphic design. So really, most people know me from my creation of Linktober. So, <laughs> which, which is where I know you from originally as well. Um, a lot of actually people kind of forget this, but, uh, you know, I, I did a series of Zelda posters with Bottleneck Gallery last year. And um, the, the place those concepts initially um, formed as rough sketches was as part of a drawing challenge that I was doing during Linktober two or three years ago where I was, you know, trying to come up with a new rough sketch for, um, a controller mashed up with scenery from a specific Zelda game every day of that week. And, uh, those caught on like wildfire hashtag linktober. And, um, I think I'm, I think actually about half of my overall Instagram following is, is thanks to linktober. So <laughs> appreciate that. So tell cool. Joel thank you for your success That's, because Joel, it's, it's his doing, really. It's all because of you, Joel. I uh, I say this: um, most people uh, they they like to show off their Legend of Zelda collections, uh, and they're all like, "Here, you know, I've got like all these amiibos, these rare figures, uh, the board game from the '80s, or the little digital watch, or the original Game and Watch stuff, or whatever from the '80s," and people are all proud of their official collections and i will say this and i don't i don't like coming off sounding um boastful uh, or braggadocious or any of those things but i will say that i single-handedly have the greatest unofficial zelda collection in the entire world because anything that is hashtagged or made in the name of linktober is now part of my collection. I don't own any of it necessarily, <laughs> uh, but it was made because of me. So, you know, um, I, mean, I think that's fair to claim at least a little bit of ownership there. Right? Yep. At least a little bit. Yep, so, I'm not, I'm not going to fight you on it. It's just, yeah, I like to, uh, I like to say that I pretty much have one of the greatest Zelda collections out there. So, um, so let me ask you because people every year, use kind of hashtag linktober as an opportunity to uh show off zelda art and we do know that the zelda fan community is uh is replete with very talented artists right mm. um 
Can you tell me just maybe what's one of your what's one of your favorite pieces that you've ever seen crop up under hashtag Linktober? And if you can remember the name of the artist associated with it, that'd be great. Um, I I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but oh man, no, I've got so many. Um, I I mean, selfishly, I want to say a lot of the artwork that the Rangers do. That's my that's my team of volunteers. Um, that that they do their artwork is breathtaking um i will say this uh the cover artwork for our upcoming zine seal the darkness uh is something that you're not going to want to miss um and i'm not going to tell you the artist at the moment because it has not been revealed yet uh so that's a that's a teaser um but uh trying to think of something that really really sticks out in my mind um uh yours is i was gonna say uh, don't say his don't no say no his. no i mean <laughs> it's 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 funny that that you have me on for the link's awakening uh, one of the link's awakening episodes because uh the gold variant that i bought from linden is his link's awakening piece um so um i did buy it that's it's it's still rolled up and kept very nicely right now. Uh, so, um, well, thanks for yeah. saying that. Whenever you pull that out of the tube and unroll it, I'd love to know what you think of the gold foil on that because uh, that was very fun to uh, to design around and, and to print on. It's fantastic. Um, well, thank I do you. love it. Um, I'm waiting to get it framed and actually find a place for it on the wall. Yeah. Uh, well, half of being an art collector is collecting art and the other half is finding places to hang the art. So yeah. <laughs> I tell people to change your art seasonally um, or based on your mood. Um, you know, I want to give you some time too to talk about Zelda creator con, um, which is obviously something that as of the recording of this podcast, you're gearing up for very heavily. Um, this podcast is going to air after uh, yep. Zelda Creator Con is over, but uh, I would still love for you to, you know, bring some awareness to what that is and, and what you do. Well, um, attendees will still have access to the show site even when you put this episode out. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, so um, the long and short of it is that in lieu of the pandemic last year, uh, I was like, well, hey, none of us can have conventions anymore. Yay. Oh, boy. Uh, so um, how could I help support the Zelda fan community? And so I was like, well, you know, it'll be a lot of work, but I could probably build an entire online convention. And so I did. And it's probably been one of the most insane thoughts that I've ever had because <laughs> it's been um, it's been uh at least two death mountains of work um but uh it's um yeah so for anyone out there it's um it's a microsite built into linktober.com and it's filled with sections of all sorts of different creators from the Zelda fan community all around the world so we've got uh we've got you guys your podcast uh, we have um, Lee Kovacs, who's very well known for her uh, cosplay, her art, 
Uh, and being a Nintendo brand ambassador, we have uh, Kylie Parker, who was on your show. Our, um, our Captain Dangerous. Favorite. We love Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> so she's she's on the show with Master Sword, uh, the heavy metal Zelda band. Awesome. Um, we have Andy Gibson, who is a voice actress of Impa. Uh, we have uh, Sean Chiplock, who is the voice actor of Rivali um, <laughs> for the English dubs. Um <laughs> We have. It's a really good. Th- it's a really good thing you're not hosting this in person because I think that uh, I think that poor guy might have gotten punched in the face once or twice. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoops. Um, no, he's great. I love him, but you know, he's just he imbues Rivali with so much of that. Uh, just oh man, do you have to? Energy, <laughs> you know, that's hey, you know, he brought his personality to it, or vice versa. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. but uh, yeah. Excellent so work. we have. We have, we have tons of creators from around the world in it, uh, lots of artists that you would recognize and a lot that are budding that you don't know yet. Um, and the whole purpose is so that everybody can go through, they can find their website, their social media, maybe they can commission them, maybe they can go and buy some of their art. Um, and then uh, all three days of this weekend, there will be all sorts of live streams. So panels, Q&As, live arts, performances, we have David Eric Ramos playing Ocarina for us. Um, so that's like really cool. Nice. Um, as well as Songbird Ocarina, who's in Los Angeles. Uh, their shop's in LA. And uh, they walked us through the, sh- the whole store last year, which was really cool. Um, cool. I have yeah, a Songbird so Ocarina. There you go. See? <laughs> so so it's really cool because it's we're, we've collected – all these Zelda creators that are out there in the world into just one virtual place and organized it this year into markets uh, like there are in the Zelda games. So there's six different markets of around 40 different creators. So we have 200 plus creators. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a great roster. Um, you, you've really got some heavy hitters on there and some people that uh, we know personally and people that we um, have never met but do admire greatly. So it's, it's really good lineup. Um, OK, so that's the that's the 411 with Zelda Creator Con. Uh, it's a really cool endeavor. Um, I would like to talk a bit more about your experience with Zelda personally. We usually ask all new guests to tell us a little bit about their history with Zelda, including your least favorite game, your favorite game, and uh, first first of all, which games you've played. Um, for most of the people we have on, that answer tends to be all of them. But this is this is good, very good. Um, I have played all the canon games. Okay, um, that's 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 pretty easy. Um, so Hyrule Warriors, I didn't really like. I haven't played Age of Calamity yet, which is which is canon. But yeah, I I know there's there's some I don't know. I haven't I haven't read too much into it. But let's 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 back it all the way up. Uh, I I'm older than the Legend of Zelda uh, by a year. Um, <laughs> so it's it's been around for almost all my life. Uh, and it has been present um, in almost all my life. I remember, I remember uh, the Legend of Zelda and Adventure of Link just fooling around in those games on my friend's NES. Um, I don't even know 
before I was five years old. Like we used to go into his basement and just fiddle around with his NES. We'd play, we'd play Mario, we'd play Duck Hunt, we'd play Zelda. And since we're both still so young, it's not like we had any concept of what we were doing. Sure. Um, so, but I, I vividly remember uh, being shot at by Octorox um, <laughs> as a child. Um, and then uh, I don't think I played Link's, Link to the Past until a bit later. Um, my first my first actual console was the N64. We didn't have any console in my house besides anything handheld, which we had a Game Boy. Uh, so I had Link's Awakening, um, probably in somewhere between 93 and 95, I had the first Link's Awakening. Um, and then I think I sold it in a garage sale cause I couldn't really understand how to play it. Cause I was like, I don't know, eight years old. And it was just like, well, I got the sword and I can run around and chop things, but I didn't really have the brain power to conceptualize the path of everything sure um and so i remember selling it in a garage sale and probably buying it a few years later uh probably 98 when the dx was released um and playing through it again then uh but i remember turning it on so many times that coholent as i as i said before we were recording uh link's awakening is home for me i'm so familiar with that opening the opening cinematics. Um, <laughs> it's hard to call that cinematics. It's all, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but you know, credit where credit is due. Um, yeah. It actually it works pretty well. Like it communicates the tone that they want it to. I think, and, and they yeah. did it com- with no color and on an eight bit, you know, graphic screen. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've I've uh, done art pieces of that. Um, somewhat recently too uh but uh it's just i'm i'm so familiar with mabe village and and at least the southwestern part of coholent that it just it is home and then uh i played i played ocarina and majora on n64 um and pretty much played through everything as it came out uh so favorite absolute favorite game um is your guys least favorite which is twilight princess um (laughs) well i mean it's fair but it's it's funny because on the flip side my least favorite is your favorite i don't like skyward sword um so (laughs) you and it feels like everybody else yeah we we knew we were gonna run into one of you guys on this show before i'm i'm I'm, Hold on, hold on, pump the brakes for a second. I'm not, I'm not an active hater. Um, similar to what Lyndon said before, uh, the the worst Zelda game is still uh, saying the worst of the best, so mm-hmm. it's still a great game. Um, so, Skyward Sword still has a lot to offer, and I'm very excited to try it again next month. Uh, I have it reserved and paid for, so mm-hmm. we're good. We're good. Just I'm a, not a bad sport here. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes, we appreciate that very much. Just out of curiosity, um, 
when when you say that Skyward Sword is your least favorite Zelda game, what element specifically did you kind of bounce off of um, on the Wii version? Because I know for a lot of people it's this or it's that, um, and it tends to be one very specific thing. What what was it for you? Well, it's not the controls. The controls didn't bother me as much as everybody else. Um, that's kind of a, a, a given with Nintendo. Nintendo likes to use Zelda as like a, a technology guinea pig mm-hmm. all the time. Where it's like, hey, here's Link's crossbow training, um, which is a big no, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, here's the Tingle Tuner. Um, here's uh, here's Four Swords Adventures, where you connect your Game Boy Advance. And then, so I mean, I'm I'm really accustomed to Nintendo kind of flubbing some things with Zelda controls. Mm-hmm. So it's like, eh, it doesn't bother me too much. Yeah. Um, the things that bugged me the most with Skyward Sword is one, uh, no solidly connected overworld. I hated going back and forth from Skyloft to different locations. I found it really time consuming for no apparent reason, um, which was kind of sad. And then the biggest of big was difficulty fluctuated greatly throughout the entire game. Uh, when you first uh, face uh, Giram, um, he is incredibly hard in that very, very first battle. Uh, and he's essentially the first boss battle, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then like the next boss is infinitely easier. And then it just kind of goes back and forth. And then there's these tasks that you have to do that seem really childish and tedious. And then there's the silent realm, which is like, oh, my God. Um, (laughs) And so just the 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 there is no constant to the the difficulty on it. And that, for me, uh, took away one key factor of all Zelda titles, which is its replay value. It destroyed it. So the, the blew t- it out. So the Tad Tones don't do it for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. No. Oh man. I wonder if they no. I wonder if they'll be in the HD version. I wonder if we're getting like a straight, you know, recreation of because, you know, even in like Wind Waker HD, they kind of streamlined some of the parts that people felt were uh, you know, superfluous in the extreme. So yep. Tad Tones were definitely not ridiculous. great. Yeah, not great. Definitely a little needless padding there at the uh, close to the end of Skyward Sword. So, you know, it's it it happens. It's not like Zelda as a series is immune to to that. Sure, sure. I will say this, though, about Skyward Sword. Um, The music can't be beat. It's really something else. The designs are spectacular. They're absolutely spectacular. Uh, Characters are are great. you love to hate Groose. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Everybody does. And then you love to love Groose. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was pretty fantastic. Um, the story kind of escaped me because I was so distracted by the gameplay. Uh, so that's kind of lost on me, which I hope I can rekindle in this next playthrough. Um, and then uh, Skyward Sword, honest to God, holds one of my favorite dungeon and dungeon boss combos. Uh, the Ancient Cistern and Collectos <laughs> yep. are hands down some of the greatest that the series has to offer, period. They are so good. They're, Absolutely. Just, they're just so good. So I, while it may be my least favorite, 
I still like it. <laughs> These are, you know what? These are all valid criticisms. Um, I've heard a lot of valid criticisms of Skyward Sword over the years, and I I see the merit in all of them, including yours. So, and I definitely agree. I, I hope that uh, I hope you can kind of get uh, get around some of that when you play HD um, and 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 are able to really enjoy the narrative for what it is because it is it's one of the best storylines that Zelda has ever done. So. Anywho, um, Joel, we really appreciate you giving us that rundown into your history with Zelda. Obviously, we're going to talk more specifically about one of your favorites, Link's Awakening, here in just a minute. Before we get into that, I want to get into some housekeeping. If you guys didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week we play a new section of a Zelda game and then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to bonus episodes. You can write in listener mail. You can vote on what game we play next. You can uh, subscribe and get some beautiful monthly trading cards and much more. But until then, let's get into the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. The Sacred Realms Rundown is, of course, a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Link's Awakening Chapter 2, which includes the Bottle Grotto Dungeon. Part 1 of the Sacred Realms Rundown is traditionally the plot recap as read by Matt. However, twisty twist time here. Matt didn't have his plot recap for this episode done by the time of recording, so I bailed him out a little bit. I wrote it for him. Okay, that is a completely false narrative, and I am going to put a kill to that right now. We were sitting here ready to like get everything set up, sure. and I was like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to write the plot recap like I always do, and you're like, I kind of want to do this one. And I said, okay, that's fine. You get one a season anyway, so you can go ahead and take this one if you want it. So... That is bull, <laughs> sir. I don't know. I feel like I feel like there might be a bit of a uh, Rashomon, Last Jedi, differing perspective thing happening here. I remember it a little differently than you do. You just do your plot recap, and I'm going to do the bonus episode because that's the trade. <laughs> Which is my my bigger question here is what plot. Okay. Well, okay, well, that's also a good point. I made the it. shortest plot recap of the entire game. Hey, so. I made it. I made it work. There's real pathos here with Madam Meow Meow. It's uh, oh god. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, all right. Do your plot part, recap. Part, part one <laughs> shall be for this week the plot recap as read by not Matt. Oh, <laughs> we, we love you, Matt. As we step out of Tail Cave and back into the harsh island sunlight, we're greeted by the mysterious owl once again, who informs us that the cello we recovered in the dungeon is one of the eight instruments of the sirens. These are magical instruments that, when assembled and played before the monolithic windfish's egg on Mount Tamarank, will supposedly wake the windfish from his slumber. The owl charges us to seek out the remaining seven instruments, with the next being lo- located in Gopanga Swamp in the northwest of Mabe Village. Before we can make our way there, however, we are stopped by two frantic youths from the village who inform us that the Moblins from the forest have come to the village and stolen Bow Wow, the prized pooch of Madame Meow Meow. 
Being the courageous soul that he is, Link opts to rescue Bow Wow from the villainous Moblins before proceeding to the swamp. We track the Moblins back to their cave lair and are forced to clear the hideout, culminating in a fight with the massive Moblin King. With the King vanquished, we are free to bring Bow Wow out of captivity and back to Madame Meow Meow. The resident dog lady of Mabe Village thanks us for our efforts and asks if we might do her one more favor and take Bow Wow for a walk. Bow Wow gets off the chain, goes to Tokyo, and proceeds to engage in drifting races with... No, no and, uh, that's, that's, I think you're doing Fast and, uh, fast and Furious Tokyo Drift what? there. Maybe, Is that maybe the wrong... We, I think it's the wrong... Is wrong, that the wrong thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, my Back bad. Back it up bad. a little bit. Okay, sorry. Where was I? <laughs> Not in Tokyo. Oh, I see where I got off here. Okay. We feel like the pooch has already had a pretty full day, but regardless, consent to keep him with us while we search the swamp for the next instrument of the sirens. Upon entering the swamp, we discover the entrance to a suspicious-looking cavern. The entrance is overgrown with harmful swamp flowers, which are impervious to any weapon we possess. Luckily for us, Bow Wow is very hungry and is more than happy to maunch the inconvenient flora. We enter the cave and discover it to be Bottle Grotto, a dungeon replete with pots which are too heavy for us to lift and block our progress. Some exploration leads us to a chest containing the power bracelet, which Link uses to lift the pots, and we are able to delve deeper into the dungeon, fighting all manner of evil monsters and even a giant hinox. Finally, our search brings us to the lair of yet another nightmare, a villainous genie who is impervious to damage thanks to his magic bottle. Using our new power bracelet, we manage to break the bottle against the arena wall and are then able to damage the genie with our sword while trying to dodge his barrage of magic fireballs. Finally, the genie falls before us and we discover the treasure he has been hiding. The next instrument of the sirens, the magical conch horn. The horn plays a few notes, and then we are swallowed in a blinding white light, where we hear a voice instructing us to seek out the prairie. All hail the magic conch. <laughs> All hail the magic conch. <laughs> <laughs> this has... Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Oh my god. Why? So many Why are we this way? So many sound bites to find for this episode. It's gonna be great. <laughs> All right. This has been part one, the plot recap. Part two is our takes um about this section of the game. And uh, you know, I like a lot of what happens here. Um I do I do really appreciate that the game kind of throws us uh for a loop and kind of diverting us off to a little mini dungeon. Um it, it dun- mini dungeon is maybe too strong of a word. It really is just a little <laughs> really is just a little combat gauntlet that we have to go through. To- three three rooms. <laughs> so, uh one thing I will say is that this little moblin hideout is difficult um on hero mode. I had five hearts at this point um and that first room where you've got four moblins who are all throwing spears and they're kind of crisscrossing. So it's like really tough to get away from the spears they're throwing that that's difficult, you know, had to do a little bit of rocks, feather dodging, nothing too crazy, but definitely uh, enough to, you know, cause you to break a little bit of a sweat. If you're trying to get no deaths on a, on a hero mode run, which I am. Um, but yeah, I think what this section of the game will probably be most known for and most memorable 
for is allowing you to uh, to carry Bow Wow around the map with you and just oh, so much fun. Watch as he just kind of mercilessly devours. Yeah, you don't really have to do anything. He does it for you. No, so yeah, much fun. Bow Wow's a, a real bro, and I, I appreciate take him. Take him with me everywhere. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, definitely. And this is one of those weird parts where it's like. You know, people remember this game for having so many crossovers with the Mario universe. And it's again, like we said in the last episode, it's not like those are subtle. This Mm -hmm. is Bow Wow is a Mario Mm -hmm. critter. And here we are. He's a chain chomp. Yeah. Dragging him around with us for the entirety of this section of the game. It's just it's really an interesting decision on Nintendo's part. But I think it's a lot of fun. Um, Joel, what what did you feel like about this section of the game? Well, I love that uh, Bow Wow is... uh is a dog that can eat anything and never has any output. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's probably the best, best thing. He eats the enemies and there's never, you don't have to pick him up. I mean, you, you're you not know, carrying don't, around don't the, pick the up after the dog. <laughs> no, po- no yeah. pooper scooper bags. You know, it's, uh, it's all, it's all good. Um, no, I, uh, I, I do agree with you. I like that the game kind of just takes you on a bit of a side quest there um, to go. And you kind of learn stuff that you need for Bottle Grotto anyways, because um, the Moblin King, um, obviously, in, in order to defeat him, you have to trick him into running into the wall, which kind of feels like a bit of foreshadowing towards what you have to do with the genie. Um, so, cause there's a lot of throwing stuff at doors, mm-hmm. uh, getting things to hit doors, um, dodging stuff is a main, um, aspect of this part. And then, yeah, just, just walking Bow Wow around and getting him to eat everything is, is fun. And he is, as, as you said, he is another Mario nod. You've already had Yoshi dolls. You've had the Goombas, uh, there's a there's shy guys in Bottle Grotto um, mm-hmm. that you have to that mirror your movements. Yep. There's Boo. Boo is in yep. Bottle Grotto yeah, as yes. well. There's two. There's Boos. Yep. yep. Um, and it's really interesting because what you're talking about with the the King Moblin fight setting up the boss fight in Bottle Grotto, it also does the same thing for the mini boss fight where you have to dodge out of the way of the Hinox and and yep. then you can yeah. hit it. So. Yeah, that's all that's all definitely interesting stuff and uh, definitely an interesting way of the game kind of training you to think about um, how to approach combat for these bigger enemies, which I I really like. Um, It shows some real intentionality with the with the encounter design. Matt, uh, how do you feel? Yeah, so I I really liked this section. I it was just kind of fun and silly and goofy, right? It's like, oh, my God, please go save my dog. Like, okay, (laughs) sure. Why not? Um, So that was fun. And. (laughs) Uh, like we discussed in the last episode, those sometimes you get super lucky and you get like a piece of power or a guardian acorn before you go into a boss fight. Yeah. Well, the first moblin I killed in that room with the four moblins dropped a piece of power. So I insta killed the other three and then just just absolutely wrecked the boss. You just wiped this like it was nothing. Yeah, it was great. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing more amusing than watching Bow Wow or Chain Chomp uh, go through and just demolish those gigantic flowers in the swamp. Like, I, I thought that was kind of amusing. They're so much bigger than him. He's just like, Help! and it even does the the sound effect. It goes, Help! and I was like, ah, that, yeah, this is kind of fun. Yeah. What, one thing that I really like is um, a lot of the musical cues that happen 
in this section of the game. Like when you come from the beach back to Mabe Village, there's that 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 kind of like urgent. Oh yes, like and then wait, while you're walking around, it's like yes, doing the thing. Yeah, exactly. And then they've got a similar kind of theme that happens in the uh, in the Moblin dungeon. Mm-hmm. And it's all just, you know, some very interesting things that are being done with music, which um, is it's such is, a limited system at the time. Right. Right. Like, right. Very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It really a, a lot of credit goes to um, the sound designers on the original Game Boy version of Link's Awakening, yeah. which I'm pretty sure was Koji Kondo. I'm pretty sure. Koji oh, Kondo it, yeah, it definitely was. And the, um, the, the thing you have to remember is even though they've remastered the audio and like have rearranged some of it to be more modern, it's sticking very true to the 93 version of the audio, which was. So, I mean, it was tonal. It was it was almost like keyboard sounds for everything. And yeah. like the fact that they're able to be effective with that dated technology is just really cool. So one thing that I really appreciate, we didn't talk about this in our last episode. Um, we, we talked mostly about the visual uh, changes from the Game Boy version to the Switch version, but we mm-hmm. didn't talk a lot about the audio. And I want to bring that up here. I love the refresh soundtrack for the switch remaster. It's completely instrumental. It is, uh, I mean, it, it's an orchestral rearrangement of the original soundtrack and it doesn't have the same kind of epic feel that you would get from like a skyward sword or even a breath of the wild. And that's very intentional because these, uh, tracks are direct lifts from the arrangements that were in the game boy version. The cool thing is though, the instruments that they're using to record the audio are more or less analogs of all the instruments of the sirens that you get in this game. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of strings. There's a lot of winds. It's, uh, it's got a very beachy Island kind of aesthetic to the music. And, uh, it's just, it's really, really well done. And it's not like the theme does repeat over and over like it would have in the game boy version. But if you sit and listen to it long enough, like if you're in Mabe village, if you sit there and listen to the music for five minutes, it does repeat, but also you get different instruments cutting in to repeat the same theme, uh, theme over and over. So it's like if you listen to it for five minutes end to end, you're getting one full piece of music rather than a 30 second piece of music that just repeats over and over. And it's, it's really cool. I like it a lot. That's a little aside and is not specific to this section of the game, but I think it's something something good to bring up. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Joel, what? So you've you have a long history with Link's Awakening, and mm-hmm. I guess do you feel like um, do you feel like the Switch remaster is a is a tasteful updating of the original game? I do. Uh, I actually feel it's easier. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I feel like the uh, the Switch version is a much easier version of the game to play. Uh, I don't know why I feel that way. It just flows a little better, maybe. Well, you um, you pick up a lot of, uh, yeah. W- whenever you're adding like frame rate and animation smoothness and stuff, I think that lends to a bit more of ease of play. I like how um, the edges of the screen are blurred. Yeah. Um, so it really helps keep your focus. And it still makes it feel like the just like single square screens on the Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a really great job of adapting it and giving it its own unique style. It's it's another kind of cartoony link 
Um, but it's not like super cartoony. It's not, it's not like to the level of, it looks like a, like it was made out of arts and crafts, like, like stuff with Yoshi or Kirby, um, have been, um, but it still looks kind of like a toy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives another interesting playfulness to it and makes it friendly. Like to me, Link's Awakening is to the Legend of Zelda as the Hobbit is to the Lord of the Rings. Ooh, that is a fantastic comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not like it's necessarily meant for children or introductory or whatever, but it is literally like the perfect gateway. Um, it opens the doors. Uh, if you haven't played a Zelda game, start out with Link's Awakening. It isn't actually about Zelda. She's not in the game. Oops, <laughs> spoiler. Um, but <laughs> all three versions of Link's Awakening have been fantastic, and they each have had their own different charm. Um, that section of the game that is uh, immediately adjacent to the Moblin's hideout uh, has changed in all three of the games as well um, with uh, with Dampy's uh, dungeon builder and and the photo booth mm-hmm. um and there are, it's it's been different and uh and then there was there was the addition of the color dungeon in dx uh which we have the color dungeon in the switch remake too yep. um which i love the color dungeon it's just ridiculous good fun mm. um and it's not like you have to beat it um that's that makes it a side quest that you can just happen upon. Uh, getting the the Koholent sword is a whole nother side quest that's also good. Um, but it just, uh, yeah, it's a really fun adaptation. Um, it's just playful. The whole thing is just it, playful. It is, and that's yeah. one of the things. It reminds me, just the art style and the feel reminds me a lot of what I love about Minish Cap. Is the mm, it's mm-hmm. exactly playful is the right word. Yeah. Do, are you playing regular or hero mode? I know you said you played this today. Uh, I was just playing regular. Cool. I just wanted to re-roll through Battle Grotto real quick. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> definitely get that. Um, so I just just to put a cap on our general takes for this section of the game, I uh, you know, I think this is a game that definitely leads you pretty briskly from one section to the next. And it does have a lot of very distinctive environments. And this is one, the swamp that's uh, you know, it it is what it is, I guess. It's uh it's neat enough in its own way, but you never really have a reason to revisit this environment. It's it just kind of exists um, as a lead up to the bottle grotto. So I don't know. It, yep. It's cool, but uh, not not worth lingering on for any any great amount of time. What I do want to do is get into part three, which is the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more. So obviously this week we're talking about the bottle grotto where once again, the main item in this dungeon is something that we're going to be using constantly for the entire rest of the game, similar to the rocks feather, which we got in the last dungeon. The power bracelet is essential for progressing throughout this entire game. Well, and the best part about it is that it doesn't take up a, um, an item slot. Yep. Yeah. It's auto equipped. I love that about items. 
pretty great, which actually makes me, I think back to the original Link's Awakening, and I understand within the limitations of the system they had why they couldn't, like why the sword and shield had to be bound to A and B and to take up a slot. I don't understand why they couldn't make it to where like, okay, you got the power bracelet, now you can just lift these things, you know? Like what's the, what would the harm have been in doing that? It's very interesting. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a game designy reason for why they couldn't do that, but, uh, but no, I think this dungeon is actually a great dungeon. It's an immediate step up in difficulty from tail cave. There's a lot more to get into here. Um, you have to keep track of where you are in the dungeon to a much greater extent because it introduces a lot of, uh, stairway paths and, uh, you know, um, shortcuts from one section to another section. It also introduces the mechanic of having to hit the crystal to raise and lower blocks, which are persistent mm-hmm. throughout the dungeon. Um, there are dungeons later in the game. Face Shrine is one that comes to mind that get into that as a much you know more in-depth mechanic. But um, this is the first time you really encounter it, and it does take some thinking about to to kind of learn how to deal with mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree with that the 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 orange to blue transition and there are, there's one specific section close to the end of the dungeon where you're really going and you're trying to get to that chest and you have to go like i think it's orange and then you have to go across and jump across with a rock's feather and then go down a little bit and jump across to the a little tiny there's like a one block section that's down hit yeah, it's it's very clever dungeon design within the confines of a 2D space. Yeah. Uh, Joel, what do you think of Bottle Grotto? It's a fun one. Um, I almost always get a little uh, ahead of myself um, and, and end up uh, getting all the way to the door uh, of the genie before getting the nightmare key. I, I did that. <laughs> and then having to go back. Yeah, I, I did that uh, for sure. And defeat the three enemies in order oh, in that one room. That room. Uh, so the keys, the pole's voice, and the... I don't even know what that the the guy is. Little skull guy that shoots arrows. Yeah. Um, it's not, not a stale foe because he's hooded. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. the And I think the order is pole's voice, keys, and arrow that guy. That is correct, yep. yes. Yeah. So how many? So, uh, so I do not have that committed to memory. By the way, I had to kind of try. Oh, I, I had to trial and error that one for sure. A few times. How many tries did it take you, Matt? Four. Okay. Do you do you have that one committed to memory, Joel? I do. After today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. It it'll escape me. You know, next time I go back and play Link's Awakening, I'll I'll have to do it three or four times again before i get it right yeah at least i'm I'm pretty sure i'll always remember that the pole's voice is first because it's trapped in that room yeah so you have to move the blocks um and then it's just do you get the keys or do you get the arrow and at least this time i remembered that that's what you had to do the first time that i played this dungeon i like walked past this this place a bunch of times without even killing the the bunny because i was like i don't like he's in there, he's not gonna hurt me. And I was wandering around for so long looking for another key. Um, so at least this time I remembered that you had to do that. What's uh mm-hmm. am I misremembering this, or does one of the owl beak statues in this dungeon tell you I don't know if it it doesn't tell you the order, but I feel like it says something like which one you have to start with, or 
I, I, I think that's right. I don't know because I don't use them. I generally find them useless. <laughs> yeah, but, right. You know, maybe in this so, yeah, one. I agree. Cases. Anywho, it's definitely one of those one of those things which is a very. Um, I can see a lot of people throwing their Game Boys at the wall, trying to figure out how to mm-hmm. how to clear this room, right? Because defeating enemies in a certain arbitrary progression is not a mechanic that had been used in A Link to the Past. It has not been used previously in Link's Awakening. It doesn't get used again. And as far as I can remember, it doesn't really get used in any other Zelda game ever after this one time right here. So, so the, the weird thing is, um, to me... You can actually progress all the way to the boss room and get the nightmare key without getting all of the small keys because there are a couple doors. So like the door on the left, like when you very first the first room you go into, it splits right and left. You don't have to go left and that door requires a small key that takes you to the compass. If you go right, the the room that you come into next has a um, there's a door on the bottom you also don't mm-hmm. have to go in there. So you technically can skip two small keys in this dungeon and progress all the way through. So like technically you could miss this one and still be okay as long as you hadn't opened every other door. Yeah. But yes, no, you're totally right. If you are like me and mm-hmm. you're a completionist and you open every door, um, then this would be a massive pain for you, especially if you don't have your volume turned on. Like if you're being sneaky, like we were at a young age trying to play (laughs) at night in the bunk bed. Yeah. With no volume on, you would miss the audio cue, the dirt that you did it wrong. Yep. And then, then what? Uh, I killed everybody. Nothing happened. Like, (laughs) so fun little bit of history here. Matt and I, when we were young, we played a lot of Game Boy, Pokemon, Link's Awakening, all that. And of course, the eternal struggle of the American child trying to play Game Boy at night after their parents go to bed is that the screen isn't backlit, right? So you're trying to figure out how you can see the screen. Do I get just enough light to where my parents aren't going to figure it out? Matt and I managed to get around that just a little bit. Um, it's very, very interesting little uh, gift that we received from our dad after a business trip to Japan. Turns out that in Japan, they sold a version of the Game Boy, like the OG Game Boy, uh, that was called the Game Boy Lite, and it actually had a backlit screen. Which was crazy cool. And it was only available in Japan. And And this was before region locking existed. Yeah. So, Hmm. yeah, obviously, all you had to do was stick a cartridge in and play it. So, anyway, he came back from Japan with two of those. And uh, yeah, there you go. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea because we stayed up way too late yeah, playing games. Way too late. Night. Way too often played a ton of Game Boy on those Game That's Boy awesome. lights. But ah, oh, man, they were cool. And it was a really quick way to go through an entire pack of AA batteries in a week. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it was such a great time. Hey, it's no Game Gear. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, the uh, the 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 wasteland of. Uh, of obsolete Nintendo handhelds that never caught on is just is, you know, you it's long. Your, your Game Gear, you got your uh, your Virtual Boy. It's all it's all fun, all fun and quirky. Um, but anywho, okay. So at that little aside, aside, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I think this is a great dungeon. Um, power bracelet, awesome. Obviously necessary to progress through this dungeon. There's not a whole lot of mechanics that are. Sp- specific to it other than just clearing pots out of your way um 
we'll get into a little bit more of that when we get into the boss fight. Matt or Joel, is there anything either of you guys want to say about the jun- the dungeon proper before we go and talk about the genie? There's lots of great places to fall. Oh man, yes. Mm. I fell a lot in this dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> And part of that is the introduction of that little black hole mechanic thing that they have that sucks you to one corner of the room. Thing's kind of annoying, but it does clear the room of keys for you. So I guess that was kind of nice. But um, yeah, that thing is kind of annoying. Other than that, uh, no, I don't think so. Like, I think it's a solid it's a solid dungeon with um, some good some good puzzles and um a fair amount of backtracking, which I don't generally love, but understand the necessity of in uh, top downs. Mm. So, yeah. And it's interesting what you say about the whole, not necessarily needing all the keys to beat the dungeon. It, it's a natural byproduct of the fact that dungeon design in this game is so centered around just advancement through getting keys, mm-hmm. which a lot of Zelda dungeons and a lot of Zelda games are, but this one in specific links awakening dungeons are just very much like, get a bunch of keys, move through a bunch of rooms. And when a lot of your complexity is built around that, um, you are going to run into circumstances where it is totally possible to, you know, clear a dungeon without, um, without getting all the keys or going into all the rooms. So anywho, just, just something interesting to think about. Let's talk about the boss though, the genie, which I recall giving me hell as a kid. Yeah. You love this boss. Uh, yeah, I like this boss a lot, and actually, I uh, I didn't really have um, didn't have too difficult of a time with him last time I played this game. This time, he he got really close to to knocking me out, and my no death run very nearly came to an end here. Yeah, so I'm glad I didn't dedicate myself to a no death run because he did kill me. Okay. Yep, I died. So obviously, the main mechanic of this boss it's two phase boss. Starts off being completely impervious to your attacks. You have to pick up his bottle um, after you swipe it with a sword. He goes in the bottle. You have to pick it up and throw it up against the wall of the dungeon three times, and that breaks the bottle. And after the bottle is broken, you can damage the genie with your sword, and then he'll warp around and shoot fireballs at you, and you just have to keep hitting him with your sword. Um, I almost got axed by this boss in the first phase where you have to break the bottle because he he throws a bunch of small fireballs in a very quick progression um and i just got the i got the timing wrong on the initial dodge uh i jumped i tried to jump over one and once i got past that one i would have been able to get past all the others but i timed it wrong fell into that fireball and then promptly got hit by two more so um, I was down to one heart for the rest of the boss fight when I was doing this and didn't get hit again, but it was it was frantic. How did you do, Joel? Oh, um, in in either of the Game Boy versions, I do not fare too well against the genie. Um, he's much easier than the Switch version. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think I got hit by one fireball. Uh, but for the most part, I had him because uh, I think I was at, at I was at four or five hearts by then, and so he wasn't too tough. But he's kind of a pain because he's he's such a a different boss than I feel like almost any other Zelda boss. Like there's just there's something about the genie that is just so completely out of left field that doesn't feel very Zelda. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know what it is. I've never been able to put my finger on it. Maybe it's maybe it's partially because he looks like a clown. Yeah, I, um, I mean that. <laughs> don't love which that. aren't too common in Zelda. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of clowns throughout the series, um, but uh, which the I mean, the only immediate ones I can think of are in Twilight Princess right. um, that run the cannons. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But. Um, but he just feels out of place, like not necessarily out of place with the dungeon, but just out of place in Zelda. It's it it's random. But at, at essentially at the at the end of the game, um, although I mean at this point you already know that you have to wake the windfish. So essentially, everything in it is somehow related to like dreams or nightmares. And so you can understand why there might be a clown looking genie uh, in it. Yeah. From just that of just being like, okay, well, you know, lots of people are uncomfortable or afraid of clowns, but a genie is kind of out of left field too. I, I don't know. It just, it was, it's weird, but fighting him. Yeah. Once, once you get the rhythm down of him throwing his fireballs, it's, it's not that tough. Yeah, I think like my my biggest struggle here was not actually that the first phase. He didn't hit me a single time in the first phase. It's whenever he goes into um, after you break his bottle and he throws the big fireball at you. I was always Hmm. too close to him to avoid it. And so it hit me like every time. And I think I went into the boss fight with like one and a half hearts down or maybe just a heart down. And so, you know, he hit me all three times with a big fireball and I was dead. So um, that was that's what got me. Um, I I totally I, I do agree with you that this boss feels much different than any other Zelda boss we've ever fought. Um I think a lot of it has to do with the mechanic for me of picking up the bottle and throwing it at a wall. Like it's a very Mm. odd mechanic that um, is never really mirrored anywhere else in any of the Zelda games. Um, So that that's a little odd. But yeah, he he feels jarring uh, to me, which I think is probably kind of the point. He's super chaotic. He's all over the place. He's super fast. He's uh Obviously, I probably a little unstable on, on the upstairs uh, portion. So I, I, I do agree. Um, I found and I can definitely see frame rate being a big part of the challenge for the Game Boy version, right? Like yeah, where the, the fireballs are just a lot harder to dodge on the Game Boy than they are here. Yeah, I can 100 mm-hmm. percent see that. Yeah. And another another way that the Switch version makes this fight a little bit easier is that it sort of telegraphs for you. Um what you're supposed to do in terms of breaking his bottle. Like in the Game Boy version, it worked the same. You swipe it with your sword and then you have to throw it against the wall. But in the Switch version, after you swipe it and he's inside of it, it has this little kind of squiggly line thing yeah. on either side of the bottle that kind of telegraphs that like, oh, hey, do some, do something with this bottle, you know? Yeah. Um, and in the Game Boy version, I know that as a kid, it took me a little bit of you know thinking to kind of figure out really what to do there. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's definitely a uh, a recurring motif in latter day Zelda where they, I think, become a little too worried about about making that sort of thing easy for people to just pick up on immediately. You know, right. um, the accessibility 
right? They're, they're trying to lower the barrier to entry there or to make it a little more accessible to folks who might not have the same familiarity with Zelda puzzle solving or, or, um, uh, enemy encounters that like we do because yeah. we have such a history with the franchise. Yeah, definitely. So I get it, but I agree that especially as Zeldas have the, the more recent ones, yeah. um, sometimes go too far in that direction. Uh, fee in my example being the prime example of way too much handholding. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good place, I think, to leave the dungeon map. Let's get into part four, which is where we talk side quests. And um, this game is kind of uh, like I think you could really – I don't know if you can call Bow Wow and that whole thing a side quest. Because, no, it's part of the main quest. Yeah, it's required to get from one thing to the next thing. But uh, I will just say real quick, I don't – well, I mean, Joel, actually, let's go with you first. Are you – I mean, I know you were just trying to kind of speed run all the way to get to Bottle Grotto for this. But did you uh, – I don't know. Did you hit a little crane game, do a little item trade or anything? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The uh, the trendy game shop. Uh, I, I I mean I kind of can't resist it. Uh, it's it's a lot harder uh, in the Switch version than it is in the Game Boy version. Um, I feel like I mean I could just ace getting Yoshi in the in the Game Boy, uh, but I just kept knocking Yoshi over. Um, <laughs> in the switch one, <laughs> and then had to go back outside and cut more grass for more rubies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, in the Game Boy version, all you had to worry about was timing and placement. And then the Switch version, yep. you also have to account for like physics. Item, yeah. Item, <laughs> item physics. physics. Yeah. Yeah. True. I had a weird Very thing true. where I grabbed the heart container weird and it fell out of the the tong that was facing towards the back wall and it actually fell into the track of the things that were moving back and forth and got pushed all the way against the sidewall and that was a massive pain to get that's about that's about the time that you walk out and walk back in yeah i i didn't because i'm stubborn (laughs) i got it after two two more tries i I got it but it was yeah it was like okay it was annoying what uh did you get into any side questy business in here matt no i actually did most of my side quests last week um or in our last episode when we talked about um i i did get i think this heart piece this time um and then like i said last time we did it i had a couple other heart pieces and uh the fishing yeah it's interesting because in terms of things you can do besides just going to the dungeon and beating it in this section of the game I'm, I don't really actually think there's anything that you can do here of consequence that you couldn't get done before tail cave if you really wanted to. Um, yeah. And so I also, you know, I, like I said last week, I, I did the crane game and I got an extra heart container and I did the fishing mini game last week. This week, uh, all I really did was start off the item trading quest, which I didn't do last week. I took the Yoshi doll to the to the mom and um, then took the bow to Bow Wow and yeah. got Bow Wow's um dog, dog food. food so yeah but next dog week we get to be able to lift rocks with the power bracelet and um and to get into all of those areas which will open up some good yeah side questy things yeah the power bracelet really opens this map up you can you can really start getting into into some more shenanigans um as as soon as you get that so yeah we should have a lot more to talk about next week and yeah i mean just in general the next section of the game is uh is beefier than this one yeah it's it's hefty if i remember correctly if if the moblin hideout 
can't necessarily be called a mini dungeon. The the Candlelight Castle from Metroid yeah, certainly, <laughs> certainly can. So, anywho, um, but yeah, that's you know not much more to say as far as side quests go. Uh, I do want to get into part five, which is Z targeting, where we lock onto fascinating enemies or characters that we happen to cross. And I feel like Link's Awakening is never going to have any shortage of interesting characters for sure joel if you could pick you know what give us one of each give us a fascinating character and then an enemy that you really enjoy Ooh, a fascinating character in link's awakening there's so many so it's somebody that you would have met previous to going into balagrado mm. olrira the old the old man yeah. yep Yep. The one he is he is fascinating as to the fact that you can only talk to him through telephone. <laughs> <laughs> he he has severe personal anxiety. Clearly. Yeah. It's 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 amazing, but he has phones that go directly to him planted all throughout the island. Um <laughs> which also makes no sense. No, it, it really doesn't. But it's still how, fascinating. How did they get there? And did he personally route the phone lines directly to his house? Or is this some kind of call forwarding situation? I mean, the dude runs his own call center, which I appreciate as a, that's one of the things I do professionally is, is, is how assist customers with call centers. But like, dude is like, he's intense with his phones. Yeah, well, just imagine if like Alexander Graham Bell had invented the telephone and an entire phone network and he did it all just so that people could call him and talk to him specifically. (laughs) True. That's a thought. Yep. (laughs) Okay, all right. He spent spent his whole life building those phone booths. Good for him. He did a good job. He should be (laughs) he should be proud. They work. They do. Yeah. Um, But I, I, I will say truthfully my Probably my favorite character uh, is one you haven't gotten to yet, uh, which would be the Lonely Ghost. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yep. Which uh, you you get into that as a part of the lead up to Catfish's Maw, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Catfish Maw. Yeah. Cool. Um, what about enemies? I mean, at this point in the game, we've run into several, you know, a pretty, pretty wide roster of enemies. So are there any that you really enjoy? Any that I enjoy. Um, hmm. Yeah, see now I mean you got me you got me really thinking now. Um enjoy no uh <laughs> but I really hate like likes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you encounter them. Uh between the mysterious forest and Kaponga Swamp. Um, and I guess what would be even some of the southern parts of Tall Tall Heights. Um, but uh, yeah, like likes are, are big no nos. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, well, I mean, they, they do the same thing in every Zelda game in which they appear, right? Try to suck you up and steal your items. Mm, hate that. Yep. So. Yeah, definitely ones to avoid. Fortunately, in Zelda it, or in Link's Awakening, it gives you a decent path towards recovering a shield if you get that one eaten. So that's nice, but still a pain. No one enjoys it. No. Mm-hmm. Matt, give us your Z targeting pick for this week. I'm going to go with that stupid Hinox. That mini boss is ridiculously annoying. I hate him so much. Um, he, he's so <laughs> grabby and handsy, and he also throws bombs and. 
he's fast and I have no ranged weapons. Yeah, he he annoyed the poop out of me. Okay. So he gets he gets Z targeting this week for being supremely obnoxious. I can't confess to <laughs> having been too off put by the Hinox. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I guess I wasn't like mentally prepared for that going into it. So it just like happened so quickly and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um I'm gonna go with the booze in Bottle Grotto. I Aww. Poor little booze. I really enjoy any appearance of Mario enemies in this game, but these guys, I think it's fascinating because they put them in a room by themselves as two booze and two torches that are not lit. And if you haven't played Mario and know up front that light makes booze go away from you, then this is actually kind of an interesting room, right? Because you have to sort of think through it a little bit more. You're like, okay, I got two torches. Let me try and light those. Okay, clearly this is going to... But like, I wonder how many people tried to fight the booze before right. that happened, you know? And it's something that I just, you know, anyone who's played Mario has this knowledge ingrained, right? Booze run away from light. But I just think it's fun that they show up here and they work the same as they do in a Mario game. It's not just that they're a character from a Mario game that's here. They're from a Mario game in a Zelda game, and their shtick is the same as it is in Mario. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, really, I totally agree. I enjoyed that. All right, let's get into part six, which is our final thoughts. Joel, do you want to give us a, a few, I don't know, a few sentences of a wrap up for the Bottle Grotto section of Link's Awakening? Bottle Grotto is not as hard as everybody thinks, but it's a relief when you're past it because similar to what you said, Lyndon, uh, when you get the, the power bracelet, um, it literally opens up the rest of the map. Um, it's, it's probably the biggest item to get at the start of the game that opens up the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, I mean the, the, the Pegasus shoes are great and that'll help get you to some of the Eastern parts. Um, but, but really the yeah the power bracelet is just you need it so uh bottle grotto it's like it's like it's like bad medicine you just got to do it <laughs> yep. yep so that's going to wrap up the sacred realms rundown for this week we will of course be back next week with another sacred realms rundown which we'll be covering chapter 3 of link's awakening uh covering the key cavern and uh also the canalet castle ukuku prairie all the stuff that leads up to that Chunky section. Chunky section of the game. Yeah, so Joel, uh, now that we're done with the Sacred Realms rundown about this section of the game specifically, I did want to ask you real quick, if you had to pick like a favorite dungeon section of Link's Awakening, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, God, that's another tough one. Um, I said the color dungeon before, but since that's not, you know, part of the storyline, um God, um, I don't want to say catfish maw because it's such a pain in the butt. Um, cause you do have to go back and forth with the, uh, the one giant stalfo that you have to blow up all the time. Yeah. Um, and it kind of just doesn't matter which of the five rooms you meet him in, but you have to defeat him five times. Uh, so he's a bit much, uh, face shrine is fun. Um, Eagle's Tower is fun, difficult, but fun. And uh, and I will say I, I, I got great joy in defeating 
the final nightmares inside the windfish egg is probably it. Um, okay. Cause it's just when you, when you, when you, you, it's, it's the same sort of glow that you achieve when you beat any Zelda game. But when you f- finish those nightmares in the windfish egg and it triggers the, the ending of the game, it's pretty peak right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do remember the finale of this game being very um, feel good, like feels good that you did it, right? It's, I, I, vivid, I do remember that. Yeah, the end of this game is really cool. Yep. Got a lot of good payoff. I really like it. But, mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I mean, great answer. I mean, the answer really is that you could really pick any of it <laughs> almost, and it's all great. So it's an excellent game. I mean, I love this game so much. So I'm having a lot of fun replaying it before we get out of here. I do just want to talk real quick because actually a little inside baseball for anyone listening. Matt and I are recording this episode the same night as we recorded our chapter one episode. Um, Our production schedule on our end is looking a little different this season just because I've got to get as much done as I can before I have or before my wife gives birth to a child. So you have offspring before my offspring arrives which is coming soon. So anywho, um, but regardless, um, all that is to say for us, uh, for Joel and Matt and I, E3 just happened yesterday. Nintendo's direct presentation just happened yesterday. And Joel, Matt and I have decided that we're going to do a Patreon bonus episode where we kind of do a whole breakdown with theories and interpretations and whatever of the breath of the breath of wild two trailer. Um, we're going to do that next week or something, but, uh, I did want to ask you, what did you think of that Breath of the Wild 2 trailer? Ooh, um, it is a very, very tasty sampling of something that seems to be so deliciously juicy headed our way, Mm. filled with a tremendous amount of lore um, for the entirety of the Zelda franchise. Uh, I have already seen so many different theories on so many different things, and it makes my gears turn even more. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just like, well, that's it is possible. That is possible. This is possible. Um, it could be any of these things, and Nintendo could also completely surprise all of us, uh, as they have done many times in the past. Yep. Uh, so I'm not really going to stick with any theories. And I'm just going to continue to go in as openly as possible. Do you, uh, Yeah, no, I mean, there really, in terms of teaser trailers for a Zelda game, there was a lot to dig into here. Like, um, they're showing off much more about this game before its official blowout than they did for Breath of the Wild, for instance. Like, we hadn't seen hardly any of Breath of the Wild other than a cinematic or two before its big first E3 where they revealed the name and showed off the Mm -hmm. Great Plateau and all that. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, what do you think we're getting with this? Do you feel like this is going to be, as some people have said, the Majora's Mask to Breath of the Wild's Ocarina of Time? No, I do not. Really? I do not feel that it is going to have that same sort of uh, flipped on its axis sort of uh, aesthetic to it. Um, I don't think it's going to be, well, I don't think it's going to be darker than Breath of the Wild was. Um, I actually think it's, I think it's going to go in a completely different direction that we're just, none of us can see yet. 
that it's uh you know the dark side clouds everything <laughs> we can't we can't we can't see this yet we don't know um it's not a thing Impossible we didn't even see she. the future, the future is. indeed um we didn't even see the face of the uh <clears throat> the protagonist in the trailer we all assumed it was link and that that long hair it would be long hair for him, but short hair for Zelda, uh, that it was actually Link, um, which I'm not I'm not plugging any theories here. I'm just saying that we didn't see a face. Um, so that's kind of there's possibility there. Um, it's it feels like <clears throat> there might be some ties between Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild here. Like, there's going to be a stronger ties there. But I'm not sure, because while all we've seen in this trailer is a lot of, you know, floating islands and sky and stuff, the first trailer that we saw two years ago had them underground. Um, And so there could be a lot of underground. And instead of their, their... it may not be the main Hyrule that we're seeing there. It could be a low rule or a dark world or Sabrosia or, I mean, I, I could name all sorts of alternates to Hyrule here that are just different realms. And it may not have been Hyrule that we were seeing in any capacity there in that trailer. Yeah. So, no, I mean... You're absolutely right. Just they they gave us so much to speculate on. Any of any yep. of those things or none of those things could be true, which I really respect. I do feel like the framing of the the link falling through the sky shot is significant. Like they have to they yep. have to know what meaning that has so close to the release of Skyward Sword HD. Yep. Yep. I agree. Do you think we get it in 2022, like they said, or do you think it it slips to 23? Um, I have a feeling it will be first quarter 2022. You think we're going to get a March Switch Pro release along with Breath of the Wild 2? Now, that's a good question. Be- because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, that just mirrors what they did with the launch of the original Switch. It comes out in March along with yeah. Breath of the Wild they could, they could, and then they, I mean, they might do a collector's edition with all sorts of decals over, all oh, over it. Man, stuff. I'd buy the um, heck out of that. Yeah, yeah we all I was would. Say, you and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Including me. I mean, first I've got to worry about getting those Skyward Sword Joy-Cons, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah anyone has a line I, on those for a reasonable price, yeah. please DM us. We'll yeah. send you two months worth of free trading cards. I'm, I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure totally that'll missed, do it. I missed the boat on that, yeah. too. So I'm not too worried about the Amiibo. Nah. Those are a little easier to find, but, uh, but the joy cons, I do want those yeah, for sure. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, clearly, uh, AG Onuma knows exactly what he's doing, uh, with, uh, with what he releases to us. And I do agree with you link or the protagonist falling in the sky in that opening shot um, is very significant. Yeah. Yep. We will find 
out what the answers are to all these questions someday. <laughs> At some point in the future. Yeah, but for now, it's just fun to talk about. Joel, uh, this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate being here. Thank you And both. best of luck on CreatorCon next week. Uh, you guys are going to kill it. In, in like two days. Oh, in like two days. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Um, before we get out of here, is there any social account or anything you want to plug? Oh, I mean, <laughs> if you can spell Linktober, uh, then you know how to find okay. us. Um, we're we're all link. We're just Linktober on everything. Any any social media you can think of, we're Linktober. So, I mean, you can you can usually find me pretty easily through that. But I'd rather everybody here just go to <laughs> Linktober stuff rather than my own social media. So sounds easy enough to me. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, anyone listening, go check that out because, like I said, there's a lot of excellent Zelda art that gets folded up under that tag. So, oh, yeah. um, lots of great stuff to discover. Yeah, if you if you you go back into the hashtag on any social media, um, you're going to be inundated with mountains of uh, <clears throat> of amazing artwork. Well, I don't know what sounds better than that. Well, that's because you're an artist. Nothing. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little biased, a little biased, but yeah, that's just, it's just how I feel, man. <laughs> yep, right there with all you. All right. Well, guys, if you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can always head over to patreon.com slash sacred realms pod and become a patron. If you got no rupees, it's not a problem. Five-star Apple podcast reviews or reviews wherever you get your podcasts, if they give you an option for that are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind-the-scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Link's Awakening Chapter 3, including Ukuku Prairie, Canalette Castle, and the Key Cavern. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Link's Awakening can be played in its original form on the Nintendo 2DS or 3DS, or on your trusty old Game Boy or Game Boy Color, also on that Game & Watch that's coming out sometime. Or, of course, you can play the remastered version on the Nintendo Switch, which is the version that Matt and I are playing. In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss, we will catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!